National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Many Catholics across the United States are celebrating Catholic schools this week. And there's reason to applaud all those connected with our Catholic schools because they stayed open and persevered in what is now the third academic year impacted by COVID-19. Register correspondent Judy Roberts brings us highlights of Catholic Schools Week 2022. Then we turn to Catholic News Agency's Editor-in-Chief, Shannon Mullen, for an Editor's Corner discussing news and stories you won't want to miss. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, your host here on Register Radio. Joined as always, or almost always, by Matthew Bunsen, who is my co-host, but also EWTN News' Executive Director and Washington Bureau Chief. Matthew, last week, uh, you had a very busy week. Your team was covering uh, the D.C. uh, March for Life, the big March for Life. And Mm -hmm. in fact, it was uh, Prudence Robertson's first time hosting uh, live coverage of that event. Of course, she's the new EWTN Pro-Life Weekly um, host. Uh, She did an excellent job. It must have been really exciting to be uh, covering... Uh, such a large march. Uh, it's back uh, on. It was, especially to have that type of a turnout for the first time in two years. Uh, we had Tracy uh, Sable from EWTN mm-hmm. News Nightly co-hosting with Prudence right. uh, for our about almost eight hours of live coverage. And then the next day, we also did the Walk for Life. So it was a bi-coastal mm-hmm. in terms of our coverage, a, a testament, I think, to the significance of the pro-life movement that is feeling really energized right now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And, you know, talking about people who are energized uh, about life, um, Catholic colleges and schools do a really good job, I think, of of keeping uh, that concern, the concern for life, in the forefront. And Patrick Riley, one of our bloggers, um, wrote a a wonderful blog about Catholic colleges titled, Some Colleges Are Pro-Life Year-Round. And and one of the reasons he wrote that is, you know, there there are lots of colleges that attend, um, send students, representatives to the March for Life. Um, But he, he noted several colleges, such as Benedictine and Ave Maria and University of Mary, that the just to have activities all academic year that put the cause of the of unborn life and of, of women in need um, uh, as a part of their prayer and their and their social services. I certainly went to, you know, a school, Franciscan University. You attended there for a while too, and 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 they made it front and center too. So important article. Very much so. The idea of being Catholic year-round, but also being <laughs> pro-life year-round, uh, it, it seems like a very low bar for uh, what we might expect for Catholic education. But uh, right. actually today, I think uh, having that witness year-round is vital. Yeah, absolutely. I first learned about pro-life matters in, in high school, Catholic high school. And this week, of course, we focus on Catholic high schools and, and grammar schools uh, for Catholic Schools Week, which begins on January 31st and goes to February 4th. Judy Roberts, a longtime writer for The Register, reported on how schools across the country are approaching this time of, of reflection and celebration during Catholic Schools Week. Judy, welcome. Thank you. So, Judy, uh, you know, we assigned this story to you, I think, probably in, in January, uh, early January or late December, just as Omicron was really hitting many cities um, hard. And, and we figured schools were being heavily impacted. What did you find in your reporting? 
Well, they were impacted, the Catholic schools were, but amazingly and wonderfully, they kept open. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything I've, I've learned from, uh, I, I, did, I did only speak to individually to the Los Angeles, uh, Tucson, New York, Boston, and Brooklyn schools, but they're all all mostly big districts, and, and I also spoke to the National Catholic Educational Association, and um, NCEA said uh, 86% to 90% Catholic schools are open for safe in-person learning five days a week, and they've been able to pretty much maintain that even in, in the face of the challenges of Omicron. Um, Omicron has hit Catholic school staffs especially hard. Um, as you know, most Catholic right. schools don't have long benches when it comes to getting substitutes. So that's been a challenge, but even so, they've been able to stay open. I think it's uh, Los Angeles said their last survey of schools showed that they had 70% still open and the ones that weren't had gone to the remote mode. Yeah, so you know, that's, yeah. It, it is really, truly remarkable. And of course, here, even in Louisiana, where I am, we were hit uh, with, you know, lots of notes from school about exposure and, mm-hmm. and um, even some teachers. And, and, and I, I think it was a day last week, there was some weather. It was supposed to be down in the 30s, which is freezing here, right? Really mm-hmm. cold in Louisiana. <laughs> and they closed school uh, the, across uh, the public school district, too. But um, Catholic schools just followed. And I thought in my mind, hmm... This might be also related to COVID, you know, just just that they are taxed. I think the the, the school staffs are, are very taxed. I think Tucson, if if I remember from your story, that um, they really remarked about how difficult it was. And some places did have to do like a short-term closing just because they just didn't have the substitute teachers uh, to take yes. on the task. But, you know, reading your story, Judy, Everybody seems, everybody you ta- spoke to seems so energized and, and really proud of their accomplishments uh, in these Catholic schools. What seemed mm-hmm. to be the cause of their confidence as you spoke to them? Because they have taken the lead in showing how it's done. If they have, they're showing public school teachers, their public school systems all over the country, this is how you do it. This is how you teach in person safely. And they're not, they're not being careless. They are being extremely um, uh, vigilant about following their local health guidelines, but they're doing it. And as Mike Deegan said, uh, we are at the forefront of the national conversation on how to run a school system in a time of pandemic. Actually, that was T.J. McCormick from the New York um, Archdiocese. But, they, but if you want to know how to do it, uh, look to the Catholic schools because they're doing it, and they're doing it safely. Yeah, and that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah, it really is important, and and they, I I think um, we've already reported on, for example, the Boston diocese where the the public schools did turn to them. The state really did turn to them and say, okay, how are you doing it? Let's talk about what what mm-hmm. you're doing, and and that kind of modeling is is very important. We've also seen from some of our other reporting too that uh, that parents are flocking to the schools. They feel energized. Absolutely. By the school. So what did you find on that mm-hmm. regard? Enrollment increases, uh, sometimes for the first time in years. Um, we've, we've written about Boston had their 60-year uh, decline, and they picked up 4,400 students last year and another 1,300 this year. New York has gained 2,500 students. Brooklyn went up 2.4%, and LA 2.6%. And they have, um, they're, they're the biggest Catholic school system in the country, so that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, that's, <laughs> right. that's a good increase. Yeah. 
pardon the, the COVID pun there, but... <laughs> right, Judy. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, COVID humor is uh, allowed. <laughs> related to that, I know you spoke to representatives of the NCEA, and uh, they have some pretty interesting statistics to report about Catholic schools last year. What was that? Actually, that was the one I just gave you, that 86 to 90 yeah. percent stayed, stayed open for safe in-person learning five days a week. Um, and they're finding, their surveys now are finding that, that most of the schools are staying open. Well, this has uh, proven to be something of a real uh, bonanza for Catholic schools uh, after what many, at least the perception has been, that Catholic schools were on steep decline and perhaps some would argue irreversible mm -hmm. decline. Nope, not not anymore. Well, I, I'm not saying every single school has right. had an increase. I know Tucson, so they, they basically held their own. But no, there are, I think people are looking to the Catholic schools there. Um, a number of people said people are looking down the street at the school that has been in their neighborhood for years, and maybe they had a good public school in the neighborhood, so they sent their kids there. But all of a sudden, during the COVID lockdowns um, and, and after the COVID lockdowns, they noticed hmm, these Catholic school kids are going back to school and my kids are still at home. So it, it, was, it, was, a very, it was a very visual uh, message and many parents responded by signing their kids up. Yeah, so I'm veering, of course, from um, from your article. I, it's just a, you know, a conversation, but something I think about a lot as I see my kids um, you know, going to school and, and trying to keep up. And yeah, we, we were, we, they were home with me last week on, in quarantine because they had been exposed and we had to do home learning mm -hmm. then. But I'm, I'm just thinking about how they are impacted, you know, by this time. Um, sure, it's going to have a mark because it, it, there are certain things that, uh, about all of this strangeness that are going to leave a mark on our kids. But I think more about those kids who are just not back in school, um, who don't have the regular in-person learning experience. And I, I worry what that's going to mean, you know, 15 years from now for those young people. Exactly. And that is what is motivating our Catholic school teachers, principals, staff to keep these schools open because they saw what it did to the kids. Mm -hmm and they mm -hmm. don't want to go back. They, they know, they know it was not good for them socially, psychologically, and academically. And they are absolutely determined not to go back. So yeah. that, I think that's motivating them to, to work hard, to work long. Uh, as uh, Paul Escala out in Los Angeles, the superintendent out there said, resilience, persistence, grit. And he said, we run into the fire, not away from it. Yeah, yeah, that's really That is beautiful. very true. Yeah, that's a beautiful um, representation there because I think that's exactly right. I, I think that's what these, that's what these teachers and especially the the principals they do. They they make sure that they respond to crisis, um, and they're there. And that's that's definitely what mm -hmm. we're seeing. I I love Catholic schools. I mean, I, I'm a product of Catholic yeah. schools, thank God. Um, and I'm, you know, my kids are involved. Catholic Schools Week usually involves um, gatherings, pep rallies, uh, wearing, you know, spirit shirts, and um, and also mm -hmm. having mass. Uh, was there anything else I missed? Is there are there other ways that people are celebrating Catholic Schools Week this week that you know of? Mm -hmm. 
No, the, well, those are the main ways, but and, and they, tours, of course, are another thing, in-person tours. And that has been um, one of the aspects of Omicron that, that may, it may affect Catholic Schools Week and that we really don't know. Some of the schools said, well, we're really not sure what we're going to do. We may have to go remote with some of our events. Um, we may not be able to have tours this year. We, we just, they weren't, they were still on kind of wait and see when I talked to all of them. But um, it's also, they also know this is a great time to put the spotlight on our schools because we're in session. And we, if people are interested, we want to bring them in and we want to, we want to help them to kind of kick the tires and see what right. we're doing and how we're doing it. So I think right. a lot of them were really going to try to, uh, to do whatever was normal, even with big events and so forth. Yes, I know our school is still doing some tours, and I know my priest Good. last Sunday, he jumped the gun, he said it a week early, and he'll, I'm sure he'll say it again this <laughs> week, but he, he spotlighted the principal and teachers in, in mass and just had people applaud for the good work that they do, and, and he did it last weekend, but I'm sure he'll do it uh, this weekend too. Um, Judy, your story helps put the spotlight, and we're so grateful at the Register to always highlight uh, the good work being done in Catholic schools. Your story was titled, for our listeners to, to look it up on ncregister.com was titled as Omnicron Surges Catholic Schools Meet the Challenge. Judy Roberts, thanks so much for being with us. And thank you for having me. So this is Register Radio on EWTN and when we come back from a short break, we will hear from Shannon Mullen about news you don't want to miss from Catholic News Agency. Stay tuned for more. Pursue what matters most in 2022. Life, liberty, truth. From the Capitol to the classroom, from the pulpit to the pew, EWTN's National Catholic Register delivers in-depth news, analysis, and commentary through the lens of the Catholic faith. With so much at stake in our country, there's never been a more important time to read the Register. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code RADIO. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director and Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, the EWTN News Washington Bureau Chief, uh, we're also joined uh, by Shannon Mullen, CNA's editor-in-chief, also in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're going to have an editor's corner, and this is always a lot of fun when Matthew and I do it, because we just cover all the news we like to cover and want to let you, our, our wonderful listeners, know about. And now we get to do that with Shannon. Um, who's just breathing news all day long <laughs> um, in his job as editor-in-chief there at, at CNA. So, Shannon, welcome back to uh, Register Radio. And, you know, my first thoughts for you and, and questions for you this week is are, are about the March for Life. Uh, this is, uh, you've been in your role for, for six months, uh, so this is your first time leading CNA uh, for a March for Life. Um, I'm assuming you've been to one before, but what was it like to be there in this role? Yes, it was really different. I have been 
uh, at the march before and uh, saw it from a totally different perspective this time. Actually, I was inside our offices, sort of being the air traffic controller, um, as we had a couple of reporters out in the field and and coordinating the coverage, watching it on TV, watching it on my my laptop. Um, so it was hectic but exciting. Very good. And, and uh, what you, what kind of crew did you have on the ground there? I mean, you guys have a team there in D.C. Yeah, we, we had two reporters, uh, Katie Yoder and Christine Roussel, who were out in the field, uh, mm-hmm. as you know, in, in talking to Loretta Brown, uh, freezing cold. Uh, <laughs> right, it's always so like that. <laughs> I would ask them questions, and it would take a long time for them to sort of type out their responses. Uh, on their phones, on their frozen fingers. So, um, so, but behind them, we had um, uh, a social media person uh, processing their photos, their tweets, uh, their videos. Uh, Francesco uh, Polio was just doing a ton of work to get that information out to uh, to the readers of CNN. Yeah, one of the things I appreciated most about your coverage was was really just the the kind of display of how large it was. I mean, sometimes it's just really hard to understand um, just how large these kind of gatherings are, but you guys did a really good job, I think, of just giving perspective uh, to some of that, and I, I love it. And and then just following up this week with some real, really interesting stories uh, related to life and to some of the good news and, and the important news that's coming out uh, related to pro-life matters a- across our country. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, there are two, two stories I want to talk to just kind of about pro-life news in, in, uh, in our country right now. But there was a disappointing uh, situation there in, in Washington um, right about the time of, of the march, and that is this pro-abortion light show at the, at the National Basilica. What happened there? Yes, this was the Thursday before the march on January the 20th, and uh, at the Basilica was a uh, prayer vigil, uh, praying for an end to abortion. And really around 6.30 uh, that night, uh, these incredibly powerful lights came on and displayed these very carefully calibrated pro-choice messages on the 300-plus-foot-tall tower at the Basilica and on the uh, facade of the Basilica right above the entrance, the main entrance, and there was a variety of uh, pro-choice messages, pro-abortion messages, really a stunning, uh, shocking, and as you said, really sad uh, display that uh, marred a really prayerful a solemn occasion there. Yeah, this is one of the things that you find most um, disturbing, really, about resistance to the pro-life message, is it often tends to be very ugly. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, pro-lifers haven't gotten ugly or urgent or even sometimes um, drastic and, and, and disappointing in their own um, messaging, but that's the... That's the odd outlier, <laughs> you know. Um, that's a disturbing outlier. But this, there seems to be some with some regularity. Um, the counter protests at pro-life marches can be extremely rough, 
extremely um, in your face, and it's it's sad. Uh, I, I pray that you know pro-lifers always keep the the disposition of of prayer and joy, even though we're protesting something so so terrible. You could tell that um, this was wasn't a normal march, right? Because we know that it was taking place in the context of this great anticipation over the Dobbs case. And you saw that in sort of the uh, very upbeat mood of the marchers. But on the flip side of that, you you saw that, as you said, in this ugliness, uh, this very provocative uh, light demonstration. And there was a really ugly scene outside of St. Peter's, I'm sorry, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City the following day. So this, this wasn't a normal situation for the march. Mm-hmm. And that right. I think that's the rhetoric you see right now, you know, just all across, amplified all across the country. Matthew, you were going to jump in. Well, yeah, it, it, uh, I think uh, the overall social media reaction to this is certainly not something that uh, they wanted either. They, they got a lot of attention. But uh, I think for many people, uh, this was um, excessive. I think it was also considered by even sensible people a rather blasphemous type of a thing. I was also struck by Cardinal Wilton Gregory, the Archbishop of Washington, and his response to it with his statement. Especially striking was the idea that he referred to his antics projected uh, on the outside of the church demonstrated by those uh, the pranks that really are external to the church. And he said really what was happening, the true voice of the church was to be found within the basilica and then finished it with uh, a simple reference to John 1330. Uh, which, of course, is a reference uh, specifically to Judas Iscariot, that mm. he, therefore, having received the morsel, went out immediately, and it was night. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement. Yeah, that's a very strong statement, and, and well, that's a good good response to such antics, as as he called it. And and Shannon, I understand you guys are going to be following up with this story. What, what can we expect um, in terms of more reporting? Yeah, I think people's first reaction after the shock of it and uh, and the upsetment of seeing that uh, was, can this possibly be legal? Uh, so uh, we do have a story in development uh, that's coming out shortly that will uh, ask that question and, and hopefully get some answers. The, the short answer is, yes, it is legal. <laughs> uh, that this is what would be considered a, a trespass of light, Um, But that's not considered trespassing in a legal sense, evidently. And uh, maybe in a moral sense it is, but um, it it seems as if, indeed, it is uh, a a legal act. Mm -hmm. Well, something for somebody who does the permitting to think about in the future. (laughs) 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 Well, turning to another one of those topics I was mentioning, and this one is uh, more, I think, more up. Uh, you have written, uh, your staff, your team, has written about a study that will invest, investigate the impact of maternity r- homes uh, in, I guess, the pro-life movement or uh, in, in, in crisis pregnancy. So what, what did you have to report uh, in, the, in terms of the study? Yeah, this is a, a study that um, Heartbeat International is doing with the uh, University of uh, Notre Dame, uh, institution, uh, the Lab for Economic Opportunity, and it's really a great idea and very timely. What they're going to do is uh, examine and study uh, the operation and effectiveness of, I think, five uh, maternity homes in the South, 
in the Midwest. And, and for people who might not know what a maternity home is, uh, you know, these are um, charitable organizations that are pro-life um, uh, ministries that help uh, women who are in crisis pregnancies to, uh, first of all, to give life to their to their children, uh, but also provide a wealth of services, uh, you know, beginning with food and shelter, uh, but also in many cases job training and, and other kinds of services to to help them, you know, to get started in, 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 as mothers and get off to a, a good and healthy start. So um, this is really important because there are, there are many of these uh, scores. I don't know the, the exact number, but um, maybe hundreds, um, but uh, throughout the country. And many of them are very small right. and independent and, and doing good work, uh, but, you know, short you know, not having deep pockets and things like that. And if Dobbs it does do away with Roe v. Wade, a lot of attention is going to be, and a lot of pressure is going to be put on these groups to to, to up their game, you know, really provide uh, services that are so necessary. Yeah, you know, one of the aspects of, of the pro-abortion movement, if you will, you know, Planned Parenthood and all this, they're very organized, they're very, they're structurally connected a lot of times, so they're, the opposition is great. And these smaller places, these smaller homes that are doing work um, for, for women, they're, they're not always so coordinated. So this kind of study is, is very important, and the kind of media highlighting that you're doing of these kind of places are, are very important, too. We're trying to, st- to study some of these homes as well to report on them at the register. Um, as we as we kind of move to the end of our of our show here, I wanted to raise another very positive story, and uh, it was a another big win for Catholic adoption agencies. Of course, there was the Fulton win in Philadelphia uh, earlier, well, last year, I guess it was, and and now there's a win in Michigan. What happened? Yeah, this was good news, and it's it's always nice to be able to report some good news uh, every once in a while. So. Yes, this is uh, a case in Michigan. Uh, the adoption agency is the St. Vincent Catholic Charities Agency. And this is one of the most successful agencies in the whole state of Michigan. So that's important to understand. And one of the things that they really specialize in is hard-to-place um, uh, children. And they just have a tremendous track record in... Pl- uh, keeping siblings together and, and, and adopt finding homes for older children and so forth. But in 2019, uh, the state of Michigan uh, said that in order to receive state funding, uh, you have to adopt, you have to uh, place children in same-sex couples. Uh, this is a Catholic agency. There's no way they were going to violate their Catholic beliefs and teachings of the church. So this was effectively shutting them down, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, fortunately, Beckett um, uh, filed a lawsuit on their behalf, and it resulted in a settlement uh, with the Michigan Department of uh, Health and Human Services where they are not going to take action against St. Vincent Catholic Charities. In fact, they're going to uh, pay them uh, half a million dollars and they're pick up their uh, uh, 
attorney's fees to boot. Oh, great. Yeah, so it sounds like a, a situation where it's going to affect that particular agency, but it's not like a statewide kind of ruling, but, but a win for the church and, and for, for Catholic adoption agencies. So that's that's really a great story. Shannon, I'm always appreciative of your work, the work that you do and, and your team does because we use it daily at ncregister.com, and I know our listeners depend on it too. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you.